I'd like to direct your attention over here by the baptismal uh, to make sure we're all on the same page. Uh, is my brother who's getting ready to get in this uh, tank uh, in front of all of you just desires to confess his love for Jesus. And, uh, and in this dude, um, God has just done a remarkable work. And I'll talk about him some more in a second. But can you guys give a rowdy welcome to Nick? Come on, bring him up, guys. Come on. Come on, Nick. Come on in. Now, uh, let me tell you a little something about Nick. Uh, I asked uh, before, uh, before tonight, I, I just said, hey, how much do you want me to share, man? And he said, bro, you, you share it. Um, recovering alcoholic. Um, spent many, many, many years of his young life, only 24 years old, um, sipping back. And uh, finding worth in that. And uh, God um, started to pull on his heart. And uh, open him up to, uh, at that time, just kind of a, a, a new way of thinking, as he described. Is that the best way to, you know, you kind of open yourself up, you said, to spirituality. Um, but in that, um, God uh, breathed life into this man. And uh, even just sharing back here a second ago, says, uh, fellows and the ladies who are back there, like, I just, I confess that Jesus is my Lord. And, uh, and so, um, proof again that our God can conquer addiction, proof again that our God saves and redeems from the pit of destruction. And, uh, and, and Nick, my brother right now, is, is evidence of that. So I, I just, I ask you, man, in front of this church and the Lord, do you want right now to confess your love for him, your desire to follow him, Holy Spirit and power, do you desire to be a disciple of his the rest of the days of your life, my brother? All right, man. Nick, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in the likeness of his death, and raised to walk a new way of life. Come on. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, bro. It's awesome. And I got a full heart. I want to I make sure everyone understands something before we get going tonight into plagues three and four. Um, one of the realizations of last week is I've continued to ponder uh, God changing um, the Nile to blood and then bringing an immense amount of frogs is just how powerful our God really is. And so just before we do anything tonight, before we do anything, non-believer or believer in here alike, I just have a question for you, and I want you to wrestle with this. When today, if someone were to ask you, when today have you seen the reality of the power of God today? I'm not talking about yesterday or last week or back when he saved you or in this event or this. I'm talking about today. If we believe here that our God is powerful, if we believe that he's sovereign, if we believe that he's loving, And if we believe that his power is active, then that means it is all around us all the time, being shown in all kinds of different ways. So maybe one of the keys to worship, not just in song, but just in obedience, maybe one of the keys to a full heart is constantly recognizing just how powerful he is. And so my prayer tonight is that that happens in this room, is that maybe if you don't have an answer for today, Maybe if you're still living off last week's faith, for lack of a better term, maybe tonight God in his grace will remind you of just how powerful he is through some gnats and flies of all things, all right? So I'm going to pray, and we're going to rock and roll. Sound sound good? All right? Um, Father, I ask by your grace and by your mercy right now that your power would be real, that we would know it that we would come to know it, that we would understand it, that we would see it. I pray that your power abounds in this room. And I pray tonight, God, that for those that have been distant or those that are near, that each of us tonight has a very authentic encounter with you, the real God of the universe. So thank you, Lord, in your great and holy and awesome name. Amen. Now, um, we handed out some uh, plague charts out in the back that have answers filled in from last week. So if you didn't bring yours from last week, or if you need one for tonight, everyone's going to need one again, okay? So I have some fresh ones here if I can get some help. If you uh, need a plague chart, just raise your hand. 
Brother, would you mind helping me out here? Just kind of pass some of these out there to folks who have. Thanks, Jason. Okay, if you, if you need a plague chart, just raise your hand. Looks like we got several folks. I know I saw many of you guys walking in with them. Hopefully it created some conversation on your refrigerator. Um, what's that? Oh, that's just the plagues in the Old Testament. Um, why, why is that on your fridge? Because um, that's how we roll in this house, all right? While those are being passed out, uh, last week we saw the first two of ten. As I've already mentioned, a river turned from water to blood, the entire Nile, the greatest life source in Egypt, and we saw uh, an amazing amount of frogs, frogs everywhere, okay, um, that all of a sudden came from the Nile, as it were, and, and then were killed. God, at the pleading of Moses, completely took away every frog and uh, sent the frogs to death, and, and then the people of Egypt literally had to gather these frogs in heaps. And the whole contention is Pharaoh will not let God's people go. So let's pick up here in chapter 8 of Exodus uh, verse 16, plague number 3. There's pens under your seats if you need one. Here we go. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, remember the, this relationship between Moses and Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. Um, now, several things to note here. First of all, for those of us that have been journeying, you should recognize something about this plague that's different than the others. The first two had an interaction before God sent the plague, right? The first two plagues, God said, all right, go to Moses and say, let my people go. And then if he doesn't, then we'll enact this. This, the frogs are dead. And then guess what? Bring on the gnats. And just so we all understand what we're talking about, cue the picture here, okay? Uh, this is, this is, this is a, you know, gnats are incredibly small. And this is a great picture of them. But we all relate, okay? It starts to get humid outside, a little humid, right? And you guys are out barbecuing. You're walking through some dense St. Louis, you know, fog in the summer. And all of a sudden you just have these little annoying, nagging pests around your face. And, and we'd all agree, right? We've all had the moment where we started cussing at the gnats, haven't we? And, and maybe not with actual cuss words, but, you know, we're, we're thinking in our mind, if, if, like, if every single one of these gnats on the face of the planet could die right now, that would be amazing, right? We've all had that moment. Because you, you swat them away, and what? They, it's like they reproduce in the swat, you know? It's like somehow this, you know, and then, and then there's more of them, and then they're in their hair, in your ear. Have you ever got one in your mouth? Yes, you have, right? So they're, they're just a very, very annoying um, thing. And so God says, strike your staff to the dust, and literally the dust will become gnats. And, and if that were to happen today, some of you that have dorm rooms would be in real trouble, right? Because uh, the, the dust is plentiful. Um, so God just brings this. It's not in response to Pharaoh's uh, not letting the people go. He just tells Moses to bring them. Now, in my catalog, let me explain. Uh, a catalog, like I talk about here sometimes, is the scripture that has been written on my heart, written on yours. That when you think back and think through a text, when you read certain passages, all of a sudden others are drummed up. So when I think about um, dust becoming a gnat, I'm reminded of Genesis, the creation account, what men were made from, what Adam specifically was made from. Do you remember? Right. Uh, dust and ribs represents the creation of man and woman. So I'm not making a connection here between men and gnats, um, though at times that may be the case. Um, but what I am saying is the creator God who made man from dust also now in death, as it were, or tragedy or plague will bring this very annoying insect to the people of Egypt. Verse 17 says, and, and they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All of the dust, and again, I, I can't make this sound or say something else, all the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. Now, we have, to try to, we have to try to get a picture of this. We have to. We have to. Okay. 
I'm pretty sure, like, this didn't turn into a gnat parade. I'm pretty sure people weren't celebrating, right? I'm pretty sure people weren't all of a sudden, like, clapping their hands and saying, Thank you, Lord. You've brought the gnats, you know. We're so encouraged by this. Let us now give homage and sacrifice to the giver of gnats, okay? This didn't happen. I know this seems like a fairy tale, but please just picture for a moment what people would have been doing in response to the dust of the earth, all the dust of the earth becoming gnats, insects that are annoying, that won't go away. Imagine your life, your family's life, your household. What would be happening here? I mean, people would be driven to places in their sanity that maybe they haven't experienced before. There would be a blanket of black across the land. You guys understand? This isn't God lightly touching Egypt with some nice insects that are playful. There's nothing about a gnat that I've ever heard anyone compliment, correct? Like, have you ever gathered, like, some pet gnats and said, oh, look at our gnats, they're so awesome. No, you want to kill them, right? Even if there's one, well, imagine a million. Going after people, pestering people, annoying people. And I know at that, many of you are like, why would God do this? Why is God so interested in this moment in bringing pain to people? Last night at the MV, I had a chance to, to talk about the power of the Trinity. Had a chance to talk about how most evangelicals really love them some Jesus, which is great, right? But they deny the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit confuses them. The Holy Spirit is daunting. The Holy Spirit causes them to talk about gifts that they can't really explain. And it's really troubling at times to have a conversation with a non-believer about what many of us call the Old Testament God. This God who at times wipes out man, women, and child, even in the plagues, will kill children. And so it creates this chasm in our heart and in our rhetoric as Christians. How do we communicate the God of the Bible, not a God of the Old Testament, not a God of the New Testament, the God of the Bible, Father, Son, Spirit? in a way that people don't leave, saying that, that God is, is hurtful and, and angry and all of these characteristic traits that we, that we drum up. I tried to explain it as best I could uh, last week. God is about his glory, my friends. There is only one God, and if there's only one God, then that God is deserving of worship. And our God is a jealous God, and our God must be worshipped. He's deserving of it. There's no other God like him. Every other God is a lowercase God. Our God is with a capital G. You guys see what I'm saying? And so because our God is about his glory, then whatever it would take to bring his glory justice, then so be it. And I feel like for many of us, we've really been troubled with that mentality. How do we communicate that to a non-believer? How do we share that? And to me, it all comes back to the power of God. I hope by the end of tonight, well, each of us will have some, some communic- uh, communication points on this issue. So that he stretches out his staff and the dust of the earth becomes gnats. There are gnats everywhere on man and beast. And I love the fact that, that Moses writes describing that they were on man and beast. Right? Like they weren't becoming friends with the people. They were going at them. And my friends, I am absolutely obsessed with verse 18 and 19. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats. Okay, remember what's happened so far. The magicians show up when the Nile turns to blood. And the scripture records that they reproduce that. Somehow they make water turn to blood as well. And so scripture records Pharaoh saying, hey, my boys can do it, so what's the big deal about your God? Last week we saw the magicians show up with the frogs. Frogs everywhere. The magicians, I believe, with some trickery, kind of opened their cloaks. Some frogs come out, right, because they had gathered some that were already there. But irregardless, from the, a human standpoint, they reproduce. But here, the magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. And in every single one of us, especially those who profess Christ, who believe in God, isn't there something in your heart like the competitive nature where all of a sudden you say like, ta-da, you know, like what's up now? You know what I'm saying, right? Especially in you dudes, like isn't there a moment for every single one of you, right, like where you put on your letterman's jacket right now, right? 
And you're like, oh, yeah, you try to step to our God? You try to make some gnats? Nope, only our God can make gnats. You know what I mean? Like, when have you ever said that doctrinal statement? But, but there's something in you or in us that has this growing sense of victory, that has this growing sense of watching man try to be God, have the power of God, exist next to the authority of God, and come up short. And in our heart we clap and we celebrate. And actually this lesson isn't about magicians at all. It's about every single one of us who have tried very strongly at times to compete with the Lord. Now maybe it wasn't making gnats. But maybe it was fighting against him when you knew exactly what he wanted you to do. Maybe it was going against his authority when you knew that it was loving and gracious. I want us for a moment just to connect with these magicians. It's easy to point the finger. It's easy to put on the letterman's jacket. It's easy to, to say our God wins. But how and what are the similarities between you and these guys? Verse 18 continues. So there were gnats on man and beast, just in case you didn't get it the first time. We got a whole lot of gnats, and they up on people and animals. Okay. Verse 19, and please, my friends, see this. Check this out. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh. The magicians have been Pharaoh's boys so far. Right? I mean, Pharaoh has been encouraged by these guys. He, he's loved what they've done. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of what? This is the finger of God. <laughs> so just imagine this moment. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, ruler of Egypt. Watching his boys, you know, and I don't know what they were doing to try to like, you know, do kind of motions that were going to make gnats, you know. Like they're, you know, starting waving their arms or something and they you know, give the like the, uh-huh, you know, and, and then no gnats. There's nothing, right. So they try and, and then they have to look to Pharaoh and they say, this is the finger of God. Very interesting phrase in the Old Testament. We only see it two, maybe three times. We'll see it again in Exodus, this exact phrase. When God writes the law on tablets, okay, this is a very, very powerful phrase. But the word God here isn't Yahweh, isn't yod heid vad heid, isn't this name that Moses and Aaron have been calling God. Uh, this term for God is Elohim. Uh, it's the plural form of God, but it's, it's a general, at times, sense of deity. In other words, the magicians aren't ready to bend the knee to Yahweh, that's the point. But what they are communicating is, this is the finger of God. This is beyond us. There's something else. There's a greater power. Question, question. In your heart, as a believer, if you're a believer here, let me ask you. Is it on your heart for those around you who do not believe in God to communicate, this is the finger of God? Do you desire those around you? to be talking about the power of God, to be recognizing that God is at work, to be seeing that there is an end to themselves and that something else takes over. Do you desire that? I I personally do. I long for people around me to not talk about and celebrate human, to not talk about and celebrate the efforts of man, but rather to exalt God. Anyone else? Like, Like, and even though these magicians aren't bending the knee yet to the Lord, Their heart is softening to their abilities, limitations. Agree, right. So if we desire the world to see and and communicate and watch and assimilate the finger of God to God himself, then what can we learn from the magicians? Look, they tried, they couldn't, and so they tell Pharaoh this is the finger of God. In other words, if we're learning from the magicians then that means the world must hear about our weaknesses. The world must hear about our sin. They must hear about the end of ourself. Because if not, what are they seeing? They're seeing Christian perceived superheroes. People who rarely, if ever, fail. And when they do, it was just a white lie. Not really a lie, just a white lie, you know justified sin that's communicated in ways that lessens the blow. What non-believers need to hear Christians talking about is the need for grace. 
is the need for Jesus because of their failure. They've tried. You've tried. You've tried to experience power. You've tried to taste things that would give you life. And over and over and over, what you've realized is they've come up short again. That power didn't really have power at all. You got to the end of yourself and you realized that there was something else, something greater, something more. We can learn from the magicians by communicating to the world that we desperately need Christ because without him we are nothing. My question from your life, is that what the world is hearing? Is that what they're seeing? Are we still believing in our hearts that we have to portray to the world because they're going to call us hypocrites that we're perfect? We are killing the message of the gospel from the mouths of humans by not communicating our need for Christ. You guys understand what I'm saying? So I, I love, I love the magicians, though, again, they're not prostrate and worship on their face to Yahweh. They're at least saying, we cannot. So the only way to explain it is the finger of God. I challenge you. People that you've been sharing your faith with or relationships that you've been building for a long time, coworkers, classmates, tomorrow you show up to the office. And instead of grabbing your coffee and your sugar and whatever your morning routine is, going to the bathroom so you can text so your boss doesn't see you, you know, whatever, whatever your routine is. What if tomorrow, what if tomorrow, or on the lunch table with your coworkers or classmates, you just started the conversation by confessing your sin? By bringing people into your depravity so that then in your weakness they could hear how God has made you in Christ strong. What if our conversations shifted? What if we weren't afraid of being hypocrites anymore? What if we were more energized by the glory of Christ and what he's done in our life? I'm just saying try it. What I found I encouraged a brother in a conversation that he was having, a big conversation he was having in his life. I just said, start the conversation with confession of sin and repentance. Because it diffuses all kinds of preconceived notions. Have you experienced this before? When relationships and the conversation begins with, here's where I'm at. Here's where I'm at. Struggling, messed up. But let me tell you about my God. The conversation takes a completely different turn. We can learn from these magicians. This is the finger of God. What's Pharaoh's response? Does he get on his face? Does he throw off his headdress with the viper on it, begin to worship Yahweh? But Pharaoh's heart was hardened. How? I mean, how can Pharaoh go back to his chambers and say, yeah, the gnats, not, not a big deal. Uh, you know, this, this can be explained by massive reproduction, you know. How is this man's heart hardened? And the scripture said, he would not listen to who? To who? To who? Come on. Come on now. To who? To them. To the magicians. To the men that have been on his team. Now we're, now we're really, really getting deep. You want to have some fun? Okay. Okay, thanks. Um, is anyone here, uh, not by raise of hand, but just you know, maybe by a nod or something, anyone here struggle with pride at all? All right, several of you um, and s some others. Uh, <laughs> now, isn't it interesting that pride can deceive you so much that the people that you would claim to be on the same team as, that even at times when they speak truth, even at times when it's completely logical, even at times when it makes absolute sense, even at times when the people who are holding the perceived power in their hands, who've done it before and they can't anymore, when they finally communicate and yet you still walk away hardened, saying that's wrong, you're judging me, that's illogical. Isn't pride a very treacherous thing, my friends? Let me ask you this. When have there been times when believers in your life have come to you in humility and called out sin, and in your pride, you harden your heart all the more. When it was so easily true, but you couldn't swallow your pride enough to humble yourself enough to hear the words of these men and women that love you deeply. 
I guess I'm just saying, it's not that we're not just like the magicians, but we got a little bit of Pharaoh up in us too, right? And again, throughout this whole story, it's going to be easy to relate to all kinds of different people. And so far, I just, I relate to everybody, except maybe in that. Um, but, <laughs> so let's answer some questions here from, uh, get out your plague chart. Let's answer these questions. Plague number three. What's plague number three? Nats. And um, for, the, for those that uh, struggle spelling this, yeah, silent G at the beginning there. Uh, you don't want to be corrected by your wife or husband later. Um, N-A-T-S? No, it's, it's, a, it's a G. Now, look at this. Why did God choose that specific plague? Now, I, I think you'd all agree, as we saw last week, look, there, um, we don't see an exact answer in the Scripture. There, there's not something that says, okay, and this is why God brought the gnats. So it allows us some room to discern, make some assumptions. Here's what I put. To bring dust to life like only a creator can. Have you noticed now what these first three plagues have been? Right? Water, right? And then frogs. And, and now all of a sudden we have this image of dust. This very like earthy feel. God shows from taking dust and making it something that there is only one creator. That's why I believe he chooses gnats now, outside of their annoying tormentation, if that's a word. Next question. What was Pharaoh's reaction? A continued, hardened heart. In his pride, in his lack of remorse, in his also lack of compassion with his people. I mean, could you even imagine the, the, the conversation that Pharaoh's having with the magicians? There's gnats everywhere, even in the conversation. And yet he's still unwilling, hardened heart and all. Next question, what was the result? The magicians realize they have reached the end of the competition. They realize they've, they've lost. Uh, I grew up an athlete and uh, taught from a very young age that winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. Anybody else? A little Vince Lombardi up in here, right? Many people believe Vince Lombardi uh, had a book of the Bible called Lombardi, but it's not uh, in the Bible. But that's the way I grew up. I was a four-sport athlete, played a lot of sports in my life. It's so counter that experience, the belief of the gospel. Because what the gospel says is you've lost, be okay with that, and receive victory now in Christ. Stop trying to win yourself. But that's all sports in America, right? You'll get a trophy if you do this. I mean, I, you know, when I was a kid, I had trophies for everything. I mean, I, you know, even back when I was a kid, they gave you massive trophies for, you know, being 16th place. Just so you can say you had some gold and silver in your room. Our culture teaches us to win, go bigger. Be the victor, be the conqueror. And yet the premise of the gospel is, you've lost. You have no hope and no chance outside of Christ who's won it all. Rest in him. The result is these magicians realize the competition is over. Maybe, maybe that's what you need to realize tonight too. It's over. The competition is over. I, do, I don't need to compete any longer for my own pride and namesake. There is one name that's greater. Next question. What does this plague reveal about God? Thought long and hard about this one. Um, spent days fasting over this. And, and as you saw last week, I, I do want to give some more explanation to this. God's will by God's power for God's glory. All of these plagues have this, and we'll start to give specifics now of why God's power supersedes any ability of man always and forever. Listen, husbands, husbands, come on, come on, husbands. There will never be a moment, never be a moment when you can lead your household, provide for your household, and love your household more than the Lord can. There's never going to be a moment when your wife should be celebrating you instead of the Lord. And I'm just speaking as a husband. Like, honestly, there's some days I want to come home and I want, like, the coat of shining armor to be thrown on my back. Oh, daddy's home. 
the provider and giver of all life, you know. The giver of frozen pizza yet again, thank you, daddy, you know. Right? You want to walk in and you want the valor to be given to you and you want your, your wife, you know, to be, ki- you know, kissing you with a hiked leg up, you know, and, and just everyone just is celebrating daddy's home, daddy's home, and the chant starts, right? There's a piece of all of us that want that. There will never be a day where your ability to provide and love for your family will supersede or even get near the way the Lord already has for your family. What does it look like in our houses, in our homes, to really believe that? Listen, men, what does it look like for you to enter the workplace on a daily basis not believing that your dollar signs are providing for your family at all, but that God in his grace is, is giving you every single thing you got? Doesn't it change the mentality a little bit? Women the exact same way. For those of you women in the workplace, for those of you women that stay home, or for those of you women in college, whatever it looks like, if we surrender our lives, say we've lost and you've won, God, doesn't it change everything all the time? There will never be a point. There will never be a point where you can say, me one, God zero. But the reality is many of us have grown up believing that, keeping a scorecard with the Lord. And I'm just telling you, that's not going to go so well for you in the end. Are we ready for uh, plague number four? Of course you are. The last question on each section is, what's your response? And I'm not, I can't answer that for you. That's why it says, what's your response? I'm praying that as you guys go home and as you think about the plagues and talk about the plagues and have conversations about the plagues and, you know, dance with the plagues on your mind, you know, that, that part of what you're asking the Lord is, what does this mean for me? Verse 20. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present your... Really cool story. Check this out. Really cool, really cool story. I had a dude last night at the MV say, hey, uh, I know you get here early, Mark. I'm, I'm going to show up. So I'm thinking to myself, yeah, right. You know, I, I've heard this many times before. Uh, most times I, I get no-shows, and it's fine. I'm here anyway. So I, I'm this morning a little bit different than my normal routine. I'm just driving around, and I don't mean to say this to sound super holy, but I'm just driving around praying, okay? Dude texts me. He's like, hey, where are you at? I'm at the building, okay? This is like before 5 a.m., right? I'm like, right on, dude. You know what I'm saying? So a little, little bit of this here in Moses. I'm glad you all appreciated that. Then the Lord said to Moses, <laughs> rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh. Here I am. As he goes out to the water and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Remember, a little bit different. The, the gnats just come. This is going to be a different situation. Verse 21, what does it start out with? Right? Your mama's favorite words, right? Or else, or else. If you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses, and the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. Uh, This is a little bit of an upped ante, if you will. Gnats, they're nasty, okay? Okay. But imagine now flies not just being around you, but being on the ground. You're stepping on them. You're squishing them as you walk. Now, I know all of you guys have had some very, very crazy moments in your life when you went wild with a fly swatter. How many of you guys have done that, right? Like you just had it, right? You just had it. You were somewhere, sometime, and that same fly, sure enough, you know, you just like kept zinging around. And you like heard it by its ears, you know, you just kept coming around. And like your, you know, your spouse or someone saw you, and all of a sudden this is rage, like was just on your eyes. You're, where is the, you know, and you're using everything, like rolled up magazines, your hand, and for some reason, right, you're like we're all we're not quick enough, you know, like wax on, wax on, like we don't have the Karate Kid. You guys remember the? Okay, anyway, like fly, they're, flies, they're hard to kill. So imagine them being all over you, and also on the ground that you walk on. So why flies? Uh, cue the picture. Now, this is an interesting picture, an interesting thought, an interesting uh, image here. If it comes up, there it is. Now, th- this is somewhat interesting here. Uh, apparently, Egyptians have some weird gods, okay? The first question is, who would actually worship this? You know what I mean? Who would worship the beetle head, okay? Did you guys see it? Right? This is a dude holding a weird symbol in his hand, a cane, 
with the head of a beetle. Okay. So there is at least a, a piece of me that wonders if this particular divine power in Egyptian authority, you know, representing the insect, if God is, is using this kind of image now and bringing the flies to again show his power. But either way, verse 22 makes a huge distinction. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that they may know that I am the Lord, what what does that say? In the midst of the earth. First time we've seen that language. Now, what's going to happen is he's going to separate this. Apparently, the Israelites have been affected by blood in the Nile. Apparently, the Israelites have been affected by frogs. Apparently, the Israelites, for lack of a, anything else mentioned in Scripture, were affected by the gnats. But now that is done. Now there's going to be a distinction. Now it's like going to be an invisible wall of flies. You'll have flies everywhere in Egypt, except you get to like this force field around the Israelites. And God will protect them. Verse 23, thus I will put a division between my people and your people, and I love this. Tomorrow, this sign will happen. <laughs> um, night before your worst test ever. Night before some crazy thing you were super nervous about, right? My question is, was Pharaoh like that? Was he up all night? Tomorrow, swarms of flies all over your land. He has to be believing in his heart that this is actually going to happen. We've gone from a Nile to a gnat. I mean, God has used major things and small things to be major. Do you think in, the, in all of his pride and in all of his hardness of heart that he actually was up all night wondering what this would be like? Or was he that audacious to sleep tidy? I guess what it makes me think of is this. Does the seriousness of our sin keep us up at night? In this case, is Pharaoh's pride causing restlessness? Or for those of you, my friends, that have wandered far, far away, are you resting well? And should it be so? Do you lay your head on the pillow after once again succumbing to that addiction? to that piece of your pride. And you give a nice smile, and then you just close those eyes. Not a care in the world. I'm not saying that grace isn't powerful. It certainly is, and washes us white as snow. But the seriousness of sin at times, my friends, if it hasn't kept you up, I'm just wondering if sin affects you at all. If the seriousness of our disobedience to a God who's worthy of our praise ever digs in deep enough to the crevices of our pride to break us in humility. I'm not sure. We don't know what Pharaoh happened. We don't know what happened in Pharaoh's heart, but tomorrow this sign happens. So what do you guys think happens? Right? You think like Pharaoh wakes up and like, no flies, good to go, right? No. And the Lord did so. Verse 24. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' household, uh, houses throughout all the land of Egypt. The land was ruined by the swarms of flies. So now we, we don't just have an annoying, pestering insect. Now we literally have ruined land. Flies that are all over the place, the, the carcasses of insects all over the place, uh, they're eating and leaving potentially their reproductive larvae, say that three times, all over the place, right? This is just a nasty, nasty, grotesque picture. Much like Ecuador, like we're headed to here in just a little bit. Not the nastiness, but just a lot of bugs. Um, this happened. God brings this throughout all the land of Egypt. Verse 24 says, the land was ruined by the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh, look at this, then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron. And what is he going to say? And he says this, go sacrifice to your God within the land. But that wasn't the deal, was it? Remember what's been asked all along? No, 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 we're going to go sacrifice not in the land. We're going to go somewhere else. So Pharaoh tries again to negotiate. 
hey, listen, I'll let you guys sacrifice. Just stay within these special confines and all will be well. That doesn't sit well with Moses. But Moses said, and I love this moment. But Moses said, it would not be right to do so. And there's a litany of reasons of why. For the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord, our God, are an abomination to the Egyptians. In other words, listen, the animals that the Israelites would sacrifice to their God were celebrities to the Egyptians. Like, and the Egyptians worship a whole lot of things. So if the Israelites start sacrificing to their God within the land, and this is even before animal sacrifice is even instituted, really. We see it early on in Genesis, Genesis 21 and 22. But outside of that, what Moses says, no, no, if we do that, your people aren't going to appreciate that. So much so, look at this. If we sacrifice, middle of verse 26, offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? Moses calls Pharaoh to task. And Pharaoh's like, go ahead, you guys sacrifice, and then we'll stone you, you know? Like, no, this is not good. Listen, um, we've talked about Moses a lot. Dude's certainly been on a journey. 80 years young, um, struggling at times, great doubts at times. Does anyone else just love you some courage right here? Listen, here's what I love. He doesn't have to consult God. Does, does the scripture say he like went back and fasted before this answer? And, and then Moses went back to his closet Hey, God, uh, so here's the deal. And he, like, starts acting as the middleman. So, you know, he gave in a little. Why don't we give in a little? And we can make this sacrifice and all go home happy, you know. He doesn't do any of that. Why? Because he's ready. And I've been taught this in the church all my life, and I've balked at it because of the way it was taught. But there is 100% something to beginning every single day resting in the Lord through scripture and communion and prayer. Why? Because when you show up to the conversation where you're going to be tempted to compromise, you will not have to go back to your prayer closet to not compromise. You'll already be ready for the moment. I'm wondering if most of our disobedience throughout the day is just a lack of of preparation. You, You guys would agree with me. Look, the days you're consumed with the Lord, the days you're consumed with the Lord, Isn't it just like this genuine joy and this genuine sense of no compromise? I mean, when when your heart is just flooded with the scripture and truth, you've had amazing conversations, even despite trial and chaos in your life, there's just this hope in you, right? Like, like you don't need to go back and say, and Lord, now, though his strength would be there, and though prayers certainly are are never, uh, we should never negate it. It's just, we're ready in season and out of season. You see what I'm saying? I love the courage of this 80-year-old young man who just says, listen, I'm just... I don't need to go back. We're not negotiating. Like, we do not negotiate with terrorists, right? Verse 27. Verse 27. We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. He told me this. I've told you this, Pharaoh. Just to rehash. Three days out, we're going out there to sacrifice. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. What in the world? Like, th- this guy is back and forth. He's on a seesaw of heart chaos. All right, all right, all right. So, listen, you tell your God, you guys can go. It's cool. But you're, you're, you're going to really have to, you're going to have to stay within a stone's throw, you know. You guys get too far away. I'm just, I'm going to get nervous. In other words, he, he's not surrendering. He's not giving in. He's not, he's still negotiating but he says, pray for me. Now, can we have some time on this? Is that cool? Have you ever asked for prayer and not really wanted it? Any, all of you, right? Have you ever said to gain some attention from friends? Hey, I'm really struggling. Would you pray for me? And in your heart, you don't want no prayer because if God actually answered your prayer, it'd be scary to you. Is is this kind of Pharaoh right now? You see what I'm saying? Plead for me. Not really, but could you kind of so I can, we can become friends? I, I've talked about this over and over and over. I feel like the greatest Christian deceit, the biggest lie we ever make is I'll pray for you or ask people to pray for us. What's the percentage of times that you've told someone that you're going to pray for them and you actually plead? What is it, 10, 15, 20? And the people that you know are really praying, those are the people that just get, get bombarded and then they can't keep up, right? 
I mean, you know some people in your life like that. I mean, you know some people are straight throwing down. And guess what? Everyone else knows they are too. And so their prayer list is long. Right. It's, it's like we just need to have like specified people that all they do all along is all they do all day long is pray. What are the scary prayers in your life right now that you've been unwilling to pray? Or have you even recently communicated to friends of yours that you now need to go back and repent and say, you know what, I asked for your prayer, but I really didn't want it. Would you just pray that I will actually desire prayer? Plead for me, Pharaoh says. Verse 29. Then Moses said, behold, I am going out from you, and I will plead with the Lord, this has already happened, that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, from his people, tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So now Moses comes back, right? I'm going to go. I'm going to go ahead and pray. But what happened last time, remember that whole thing? I prayed for you, and then you relented. You tasted grace, and then you hardened up. Remember that whole thing? That's not going to happen again. But you have to believe that there's something in Moses, even as he says this, that already knows what the outcome will be. But what's Moses? Being obedient. Even knowing what the outcome will probably be, does it change his obedience? Because every single one of us right now, what would we be doing? Yeah, stinking right. I'm not praying for you, number one, and we all know what's going to happen. We're going to go, God's going to be gracious, and then you're going to harden your heart again and not let us go sacrifice. So Pharaoh, go ahead, you tell God what you want to say yourself, right? But what does he do? This is what God says. I'll plead for you. So Moses went out, verse 30, from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. Verse 31. And the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, from his people, And what does the scripture say? Not one remained. Not one. Now the word remain there means they're they're gone. It's not just that they fell to the ground like the frogs and they had to be gathered in heaps. Not one remained. Disintegration. Is that that a word? Okay. Vaporization. They're gone. Okay. Like these flies, literally, could you imagine? Like you, you and your kids... You know, you're, you're swatting all these, and instantaneously, they're literally gone. What's the greater miracle, like making all these larvae become flying beasts or taking them all away in one fell swoop? They're gone immediately. But, verse 32, par for the course, Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. Plague chart, here we go. First question, what was the fourth plague? Swarming flies. I added the adjective there. I'm not sure if that's an adjective, but a descriptive word. Swarming flies. Number four. Next question. Why did God choose that specific plague? This is awesome. That they might know that he is the Lord. Remember this this phrase? Only seen here. In the midst of the earth. That they might connect now, not just a creator God like they did with the gnats, but develop this understanding of God in all the earth. By the way, where are the magicians in the fourth plague? Tails between their legs, right? Like they're not showing up anymore. You notice even Pharaoh and not listening to his boys, he's not trying them anymore. He's lost confidence. They'll show up again in the ninth plague and it's not for pomp and circumstance. Trust me. Okay. All right. Next question. What was Pharaoh's reaction? Seems to relent, tells them to sacrifice, While staying close, remember, you need to stay close, not go too far away. And then he asks, does good old Pharaoh for pleading? It's interesting, right, to start thinking about the characters that you relate to in all this. Next question. What was the result? God removes the flies until not one remains and Pharaoh's heart stays incredibly hard. We're seeing some patterns God responds to Moses' prayer. He's done this before. And yet Pharaoh's heart stays closed off in spite of seeing the very power of God. Last question. Thought long and hard about this. What does this plague reveal about God? God's will by God's power for God's glory. But specifically, God's will is to protect 
and redeem his people. This begins a completely different strain of plagues. Plagues where his people will be separated from the Egyptians, all leading up to the climax of plague number 10. In fact, I believe now in studying these plagues over and over and over collectively, I believe that all of these plagues had one intent, and that was plague number 10. Okay. Now, um, I, need, uh, two, um, I need two volunteers. I need two volunteers to just come up here with me, okay? I need two volunteers. Come on up here. Okay. Thanks, brother. Good to see you. How you doing? You're looking nice tonight. All right, so here's what's going to happen, okay? I'm going to give you a roll of caution tape. You ever seen this before? All right, awesome. Uh, you're going to start right here, and this, this young woman, you're going to have her hold one end, okay? You're going to walk this around every single person in here, okay? So this whole, I just need everyone wrapped in caution tape. Not individually, but as the group, okay? So give her this one end, and then you just take that right there, okay? So now I need you to take this in. Uh, here you go, buddy. If you can just grab that there. You start working your way around all of the, all of the room there. You've got a sleeper right here. Um, okay. If you guys can just kind of grab a hold of that there as it's coming along. Here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of tug on this here. Thank you so much. Give me a little slack there, would you? There we go. There we go. That's brilliant. Okay. Can I, can I grab this here? Thank you so much. You guys got a little slack. If that gets uncomfortable for you there, just let me know. All right, I'm just going just gonna to tie this up here. Perfect. Now, if you guys can pull that tight, can you pull that taut there? There we go. Perfect. You got it? Okay. That didn't quite go how I wanted. All right. All right. There we go. Per- there we go. Okay, we got it all the way around. Yeah, if you can just kind of connect the back there. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. You did great, though. You did awesome. Now, this is getting awkward for you guys. Yeah, just kind of collect the back there, and you guys pull it all tight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just, just pull it really tight, and you guys kind of hold hands there in the back. That'd be great. <laughs> okay. All right. We, we need that really stretch. There we go. We need that really stretch tight. Okay. Um, is God really powerful? Christians are great at saying that. I mean, listen, they're amazing at it. If there's a group of people that is phenomenal at saying that God is powerful, it is 1-800-US. Not a real number, but it's us. We communicate it. We wear shirts that describe it. We love a God that's powerful. Well, all the while, sitting in the confines of Christian caution tape, all the while sitting in the confines of comfortability of a God whose power really can't be experienced because we've determined what that power will look like in our mind. And if it starts to go outside of that, we're not interested in his power anymore. We would rather sit inside the yellow tape where things are nice, where the AC's on, where the relationships aren't going to challenge us where the conversation will, t- will stay pretty streamlined, where we won't be asked the tough questions. Is it possible that us as a whole, as a church, as a community of believers in Christendom in America are all sitting inside of this? Now, every once in a while, God's spirit starts to grow in you, right? And every once in a while, there's this like, I, I want to test the envelope. And so you stretch it a little bit, Right? I don't, I don't really want to break it because I'm not sure what's on the other side. Listen, here's what the magicians are doing. They're saying, this is the finger of God. There's something else, but they are unwilling to bend the knee in submission to God. You see what I'm saying? They can confess with their mouth all the while that God is powerful, but they are unwilling to live in light of that. You see the difference? It's one thing to say that God is powerful, and it's another thing to say, I want to live under your power. So is it possible that we are just like the magicians? Is it possible that we're surrounded, our lives, with caution tape? 
And when the power of God is trying to bring us to the end of ourselves, so that we really will end and say there's nothing else except him, then we kind of press this a little bit, but we're not willing under his grace and sovereign mercy to actually extend it and watch it break down so that his power is the only thing that remains. You guys see what I'm saying? The world must see in believers us getting to the end of ourselves so that they can see there's an actual power that exists that they know is not in themselves. We can all fake it till we make it. We can all exist right here. We can all celebrate the great works of God and say all day that God is powerful and then God says, hey, I have something for you. I want to do this. And listen, it's going to be awesome because it will have absolutely nothing to do with you and everything to do with my glory. And you're like, ah, maybe, but it's a little bit better right here. I mean, God, I'm really close, aren't I? So I got some friends going to Ecuador. So I, I want to bring those guys up right now, okay? I want to bring those guys up. If you're going to Ecuador with us this Sunday, coming up here. easy to say, oh, oh man, that, now, this, now these guys, these guys are cutting the tape. These guys, these guys are cutting the tape. Going to live in tents, you know, going to barely bathe. Um, I want to make sure every single one of us understands something. God's mission is not to be celebrated from afar. It's to be experienced by you intimately. Do we celebrate a whole bunch of people leaving on Sunday to go to Ecuador to represent us and the gospel in a foreign land to connect with a missional partner? 100%. And are we going to pray over them right now? 100%. But is their missionality now the object of our affection? We don't celebrate obedience to celebrate the power of God in others. We celebrate obedience because we're experiencing the power of God too. You guys see what I'm saying? We don't shake the hands to those who are in China or who those who are really living missionally, loving on Oasis Food Pantry here in St. Charles or extending their homes to the homeless. We don't celebrate that from the bench from afar. We are called to experience God's intimate missional power individually and then corporately as a church. Are you with me, my friends? And that's when the world says, what are those people doing? They're not living because of themselves. Clearly, they couldn't have done that on their own. There must be a finger of God somewhere. And if that's the beginning of what God's doing in them, then I say praise be to God. But if they don't hear about our weakness and see our struggles and listen to our sin and watch us repent and see us extend ourselves, then all they see is Christian caution tape. No adventure, no life, no hope, and a bunch of people living under the confines of comfort. So I want to pray for this team. I'll be with them. We covet your prayers. But as we do so tonight, this is a celebration of what God has called you to be a part of in mission too. So Father, for every man, every woman that is going on Sunday, be traveling thousands of miles away, God, to represent you. I pray that you will empower us. I'm not praying for safety, God. I'm praying that you would use us for your glory. I'm not praying for comfort, God. I, I pray that you would extend us beyond ourselves, that we could experience the fullness of who you are. I'm praying for unity. I'm praying that we continue to connect with this powerful church that you planted in Quito called La Fuente. I'm praying for Steve and Sandy and the missionaries that we support. I'm praying for relationships and bondage to be broken down, God, that you could be built up and exalted. So, God, use this team. Use us in great and mighty and powerful ways. In your awesome name, amen. Let's give it up for these guys, man. It's going to be fun. You guys can grab a, grab a seat. Thank you. It's good. It's good. Now, 
Now, so what about you? Are you willing to pray the prayer tonight? God, no more caution tape. God, let me see your power. Are you willing to pray that? Listen, are you willing to watch him answer it? Are you ready to watch him bring you to the end of yourself so that he can truly reveal his power and his might and his grace and his love alone? Are you ready for that? I don't know. You have to answer that for yourself. But I'm guaranteeing you In praying it and watching him answer, you will become a Christian, a follower of Christ, a disciple who isn't interested anymore in building a kingdom for yourself, but rather showing the power of the kingdom that you're in, in Christ. Let's stand and respond and worship, my friends. Come on.